Hello, and welcome to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my producer, Lindsay. We are streaming live from beautiful Idaho Falls today, and um, let, me, let me rephrase that. No, we are not streaming live. So we're just recording, and we will have this, late, we will have this up later on all of our forums on YouTube and Facebook and the podcast forums. So um, we have Joseph Hunter today. He is um, going to be sharing his story of overcoming addiction, and he's in recovery now, and he's a recovery coach. It's a very, very powerful story. Um, you don't want to miss this one. Um, you can normally catch us live streaming on Facebook every Thursday, 8 to 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and Mondays, 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, so go to Facebook and um, streaming live on my Facebook and um, the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy's YouTube site. We usually have the shows uh, available on most of the podcast forums, so iTunes, SoundCloud, um, Stitcher, and so on, so you can listen to us there too, and iHeartRadio. So we're a day late, but, um, and I don't know if Joseph knew this, I'm sure Joseph knew this, but September was National Recovery Month, right? And um, so we're it's great timing to have you on and we will celebrate national recovery month. Um, Monday, we have um, a couple friends of yours that are in recovery also that will also be telling their story. So we're super excited to have them on also. So without further ado, Joseph, um, you know, welcome to our show. Thank you for, for um, telling your story. Yeah. Thanks, Sean. Uh, really, really grateful to be here. Um, I always love sharing my story with anybody. I think that, uh, you know, letting people know that people do recover from substance use disorder is uh, always a powerful thing to share. Um, so I grew up in uh, Moses Lake, Washington. I moved there in, in 1987. Um, what I can say is I struggled um, with, uh, you know, fitting in in school. Um, most of my family members were addicts. I, I would say that I grew up below poverty and uh, all those things affected me in a way that, you know, I, I had trouble making friends. I had trouble fitting in and um, most of my friends were like me, you know, the, the kids that nobody liked and uh, you know, that carried on for a little while. I, uh, I did get good grades in school. I, I, I did, I did enjoy going to school, but I didn't enjoy the repercussions of, of not having the, the proper things that I needed. Um, you know, not having the nicest clothes and not having um, anything new. And uh, what, what that, what that did to me is I uh, hung out with the wrong crowd and um, you know, when I was a, when I was in high school, I started going to the parties. I started drinking. Um, that's when I started smoking weed. And that's where I found like my group of people that I, that I fit in with. And, you know, it, it went, it spiraled downhill from there. Um, you know, I, I had um, a couple experiences with a lot at an early age, um, I got three felonies when I was 18. Um, that was when I, I stayed or I, I had my first stay in Grant County Jail. 
Um, you know, and it, and it terrified me that I thought that that would have been enough to make me realize that, you know, this is the wrong path. You, what are you doing? You should probably try something different. And, um, unfortunately it wasn't, um, you know, and with those felonies came barriers, you know, it was harder to get a job. It was harder to, to find a place to stay. Um, you know, and it just, it escalated from that point on, um, my early twenties, I ended up shattering my ankle. Um, and I shattered it at a bar and, uh, got in a fight with somebody and, and shattered it and tore my Achilles tendon and went to the hospital that night. Um, they had to cut my shoe off. My foot was swelled up and they put me in surgery. Um, you know, and that, that's kind of where my life changed dramatically. I uh, was prescribed opiates. This was before the epidemic, before the education that people have today about it. And I fell in love with it. Um, you know, I, I started out taking five milligram doses, um, prescribed. What drug were you on? It was a uh, Percocet. Okay. Um, and uh, I, I started out at five milligram doses and I was taking it as prescribed. Everything was fine. Um, you know, I didn't realize, I just knew it made me feel good and it took the pain away. Um, and for our listeners and viewers, um, just for some education, um, Percocet, the active ingredients are oxycodone. That has made the news a lot lately. Um, very powerful um, um, opioid. Um, brand name is Oxycontin for plain, for plain oxycodone. But Percocet has oxycodone and acetaminophen in it. So um, uh, go ahead, Joseph. So the, the, you were doing the five milligrams of Percocet, and then you were yeah, moving up so from there. Yeah, I was, if I remember right, it was like every two to three hours or three to four hours, I was supposed to take two of them. And uh, slowly, what I realized is that that dose was increasing. Um, I was still taking it as prescribed. It was increasing per my doctor's orders um, because I, the pain, eventually that dose didn't work. And so... Mm -hmm. You know, what I, what, what I can say is after about a year of being on those, I had inched up from five milligrams um, to Percocet 30 milligrams. And uh, I was, I think at the end, I was getting 180 of them a month. Wow. And uh, the doctor had told me that I would probably be on those for the rest of my life, that I would have rheumatoid arthritis, um, possibly walking with a crutch at the age of 35. And it just kind of, it, it, it crushed me. You know, I, I, I loved, I, I did have passions, even though I, I struggled with addiction. I, I had passions like fishing and ha hunting and camping and, and football and, and things like that. And thinking about walking with a crutch and uh, being a father and what that looked like, you know, it, it really made me feel really small. Um, I got into this like depression, um, this pity me, you know, uh, you know, and, and what, 
it, it destroyed my relationship that I was with. Um, I did have a child at the time and it, it destroyed that relationship. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go to work. I was bedridden um, with a, a hip cast on from my ankle to my hip. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that depression that it put me in was just uh, a really bad spot. And um, so that went on for, you know, a little while. Um, you know, I, what, what had happened that I is I ended up going to a bar, um, getting drunk and ended up taking some other illegal narcotics, which was cocaine. And when I went in for my monthly prescription, you're obligated to do a pee test. Um, and when I peed, I had another narcotic in my system and, and I didn't know that you know, that I would be completely cut off from that. And what had happened is they had told me that I was abusing drugs and they couldn't give me the pain pills anymore. And um, from that moment on, I realized what the word withdrawal from opiates meant. You know, I, from, from anybody that don't know, when you take them for that long and that high dose, you can't go four hours to six hours without taking them before you start getting in that withdrawal state. And what that did was it, um, it, it messed me up really bad. You know, if I could describe what withdrawal felt like, it would be probably the most painful, um, miserable feeling I've ever felt in my life. Um, cold sweats, hot sweats, restless legs, restless arms, diarrhea, puking, um, no, not being able to sleep, shaking, shivering, like all in one, like you're feeling all those feelings in, in one moment. And that can last for days. Um, you know, and it, it's, it scared me that, you know, I thought what is happening to me because I had no idea that I was going to withdraw from any of this stuff. I was no education. This was pre opioid epidemic. So there wasn't a big deal about it. Um, and I didn't know what to do. You know, I, I'm sitting at my house in full fledged withdrawal and, um, I get a call from a buddy and he tells me he can make that go away. And I was introduced to heroin. Um, wow. you know, and, and what that first hit of it just took every bit of that pain away. And, um, I knew it was bad. I knew it was wrong. I, I'd been warned, you know, growing in a family of addicts, I was told don't ever, you know, don't ever try heroin. It'll take everything good from you. And uh, was, I, at that moment, I didn't care. Um, I just needed to not feel how I was feeling. And um, it was easier to get. It was cheaper. Um, right. So when you say that, Joseph, Right. So you say that, Joseph, for our listeners and viewers that might not know, because, um, I mean, it's, it surprises me sometimes when I hear these stories that heroin, which is illegal, and also, a, you know, it really is an opioid, just an illegal one, is cheaper on the street than oxycodone is. Is that correct? So that's why a yeah, lot of people... Is. Um that's why it's not uncommon for your situation when somebody gets cut off from legal prescription oxycodone to go to heroin, right? Yeah. 
And what what's crazy is the crowd of people I hung out with. We were all there was a there was a doctor. I ain't gonna say his name, but he was out in Othello, um, and he was he would give anybody any pill. You could go there and say um, you were in a car wreck in in 1990, and 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 he would prescribe you Percocet 30s like nothing. And pretty much all my friends, the whole community of people that were hooked on opiates um, at that point. Um, we all went to that same doctor and, and, um, that's how, and so like when we all, eventually all my friends and us, we all got kicked off at the same time and, uh, we all turned to the same thing street to the street version of it, which was heroin. And, um, you know, it, it, I, when you watch that, that the transition from, from people that are great athletes, the people that are fathers mothers you know sisters brothers parents you know good people and you watch them get destroyed by something as simple as getting an injury to your body like myself um and watching that spiral on how quick it happens it, it it's it's really sad to see um you know and so you know i i was you know i was actively on heroin for 10 years of my life from um my mid to late twenties until I was 38 is when I, I found recovery. Um, now there's you know, some, and I can't get that time back. Right. Right. Now there's some other, let's go back into some details. And so you said you had three felonies. You're in Grant County jail three times or just once. Oh, uh, I was, I, I had, uh, I would say 20 stays in Grant County jail from the time I was 18 till I was 37. Wow. 20 stays in jail. Okay. So when you had those three felonies, by the time you were, when you were 18, you had three felonies. Is that right? Did yeah. I got, that right? So were those felonies for possession or what were those felonies for? They were residential burglary, theft, and malicious mischief. Um, were you stealing to support a drug habit? No, uh, it was, I, I wasn't, I was an addict at the time, but it was more, I was an alcoholic at the time. Okay. Um, you know, and, and it was just, you know, I can't even say the reason behind it. Uh, I, you know, I still can't put a finger on it. I, I was very intoxicated when it happened. Um, you know, it was one of the biggest mistakes of my life. And, uh, you know, I, it, it definitely wasn't to support a drug habit, but every other time after jail, every other time, the other 19 stays in jail were all directly related to my drug use. And, uh, I, what really is the problem with the, 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 the whole thing is I was never once offered any form of treatment, never once offered to go to rehab. Um, I was just cycled in and out of jail. Um, for, and it was always the same thing, you know, uh, the same, the same thing I'd go in on, you know, for a warrant and then I would be, I'd be withdrawing in jail. They would see me withdrawing. I would be put in a medical tank because I was withdrawing. And then come Monday, I'd crawl to court because I could barely walk. The judge would release me, tell me, do your obligations, Mr. Hunter. And, and I don't want to see you again. And three weeks later, I'd be back in the same situation. And it's like, when I look back on it, I don't understand how they couldn't see that they're this young kid from 18 till 37 had that many stays in jail, why couldn't he have been offered some sort of rehabilitation? Um, 
and why couldn't anybody see that it was drug related? I, I just don't understand that. Um, so do you think that has, but yeah, is that gotten better? I, I mean, do they recognize that now? Has that gotten any better now? Do you know? Um, from what I know now, the only time you get offered any sort of treatment is if you are basically have found with drugs on you. Um, they don't look at the lifestyle, the why are you car prowling? Why are you stealing from Walmart to why did you, why are you in jail for stealing a sub sandwich? Cause you were hungry. Well, the reality of it is I was homeless because I had a drug problem. Um, and when I did have money, it didn't go for food. It didn't go for new shoes. It went strictly for heroin. And so. And there was a time when you were homeless, you were, st but you called yourself a, a functional weekend addict. So you would hold down a regular job, correct? But you were um, an addict, but, and you would still live with friends, but be homeless. Is, will you tell me a little bit about that story? Um, well, there was a couple parts to that. Um, you know, there was a few times that I was homeless, but not like living on the streets. I, mm -hmm. Like I said, I would have a job. I just, you know, didn't pay rent. I, I would stay with a friend for a couple of weeks, stay with another friend. Um, and, and I was just burning bridges because I was a drug addict at the time. And so my relationships were, I couldn't keep a relationship just like I couldn't keep a job, just like, you know, I couldn't keep myself in order. Um, my life was completely unmanageable and I just didn't see it. Um, and so I, I, would bounce from friend to friend to friend burning bridges behind me and uh eventually there was no more friends um in 2015 i became completely homeless living in a vehicle um i was 65 pounds lighter than i am today um really sick looking i i, I have my identification from the day I, I moved to Wenatchee and got clean and, and the, how I looked, how I didn't have no color in my skin. I didn't have no smile on my face. I looked like I wasn't even alive. And I carry that with me as a reminder, you know, like of, um, you know, that's where you were. That's part of your story. Um, you know, and, and, and the, you, anybody can achieve recovery if they do the right thing. Um, but yeah, I was completely homeless. Um, living in a vehicle. I remember I was at Walmart parking lot, um, living in my Jeep. I didn't have a heater. My heater cord went out. Um, you know, and I was stealing from Walmart to eat, stealing from there to support my drug habit. And I was dumb enough to live right in the parking lot. And I remember this one night specifically, um, you know, and this was kind of one of the things that made me just kind of look at myself. I, I, I got caught stealing a sub sandwich from Walmart and the guy that caught me was somebody I went to high school with and he, he recognized me and he, he looked at me and he's like, what are you doing, Joey? You were such a good student. Like, but what has gotten into you? And I'm like, I, I was honest with him. I was like, I, I'm, I'm a really bad heroin addict. I'm homeless. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to get help. And, um, you know, I didn't know, the, you know, like when I think about it, like I didn't know the resources that I know now. I didn't know about the 12 step meetings. I didn't know about homeless shelters. I didn't know about, um, you know, I felt 
I felt so small and so little, like everybody had forgotten and nobody cared that I wasn't worth salvaging. Um, and so it was easy. It was easy to just keep getting high versus taking that next step to get clean. Um, and the, that was one of the turning points. And the other turning point was, uh, you know, I, I ended up going to jail. Um, this was, uh, I'm going to say, a day or two after Christmas, I went to jail for some pretty serious charges. Um, uh, possession of heroin, six counts of robbery, um, and I, I think a theft second or something like that. And they, um, I, I'm sitting in jail and I was really withdrawing really bad. Like I, I just wanted out so I could get high. Like that's all I knew how to do was get high. I didn't know how to do anything else. Um, and so I get a visit and one of the guards is like, you got a visitor. And I'm thinking it's my ex girl, my girlfriend at the time, um, that she's finally got the, thousand dollars to bail me out and I could go get high you know and, and like I felt real happy about that in the moment I remember it it was like day after Christmas the, two days after Christmas or something like that and I walk into that visiting room and it was my um my baby's mother from my very first relationship that I had hadn't seen for like 10 years and she had told me that her father had just passed away and she never got a chance to know him, know him ever. And, and she just didn't want our daughter to go through what she just went through. And she's like, please fight for your life. And like that, that moment, that, that, that feeling that somebody actually cared about me um, sparked something in me. I can't even explain it. It, it gave me the, the feel I needed to fight for my life. Um, we hadn't seen each other in 10 years. I had literally had walked away from my daughter and chose heroin over her. Um, hadn't seen her, talked to her, hugged her, sent her a birthday card, nothing. I was a complete ghost, transient, living in Moses Lake on the street. And, and that's how powerful that stuff is. Like, you know, if you, if I were to think back, you know, like she was the, the most important person in my life, my daughter, I, you know, we had such a great relationship and, and to know that I, something that powerful could make me completely not care. Like I, I can't even explain it to anybody. Um, only the people that have been there know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, and so that, that moment I was sitting in, in Grant County jail and, and it was like, she visited me like a couple of days after Christmas and it was like new year's Eve. And I remember, you know, just sitting there praying, you know, that, that something happens, you know, something positive can you know get deal me one good card type of thing and uh i go to court and i'm thinking i'm on my way to prison and my sister's there and uh i'm like i was amazed that she was there you know i hadn't seen her in, in a few years it'd been three or four years since i seen her and she told me that she was there to you know advocate for me um she told the my lawyer that you know if they would bail let let him let her bail me out that she would take me to Wenatchee and I remember the judge he was just happy to happy to get me out of Grant County I'd been um uh, nothing but trouble since I was 18 and uh they bailed me out she got me out of jail and I, she dropped me off in Wenatchee at a 12-step at a meeting 
Um, she's a recovering addict who has nine years clean. Well, at the time she had nine years clean. I think it's like 12 years now, but um, she knew right where to take me. Um, you know, little did I know that answer to that big question of who can help me. Right. You know, I, I, I didn't know it was my own sister that was going to be the one to help me. And uh, she dropped me off at that meeting. And um, what I can say is I, I felt connected to something for the first time in 20 years, you know, like seeing other people like me that were, that struggled with addiction, um, seeing smiles on their face and listening to their success stories um, is really the answer that I needed. You know, I, what the, my good friend that's going to be speaking tomorrow, Vic, Victor Estrada, he was in that first meeting that I walked into. He's got a couple, I think a year and a half more clean time than I do. And he came up and gave me a hug and welcomed me. And, um, you know, I, it felt good. You know, I, it's, that was that first step to saving my life. You know, I sat in a meeting and admitted I had a drug problem and didn't know how to help myself, but these guys were going to help me through it. Um, and I remember Vic, one of the things Vic said is we're going to love you until you can learn to love yourself. And, you know, that stood out to me because, you know, when you're in that poisonous lifestyle of being a heroin addict and, and destroying everything that destroying everything that you love and everything good about you, um, you, you don't get that feeling too often, that connection to another human being. It's so controlled by manipulation and, and what can I do for you and how can you help me get more drugs? Like that's what your relationships are based on. And so when you find that first connection with somebody that don't want nothing from you other than a friendship. It, it really, it really did does something to somebody. Yeah, um, for sure. Wow. What, what a powerful story. So during some of our conversation, you, you said something about you're very open with telling your story. And one of the reasons you had some really good phrase about you're open about your story because you don't want others to die. What, what exactly was the phrase you use? I, my recover, I voice my recovery loudly so people don't have to die in silence. Um, you know, and one of the things a 12 step group kind of tells you is to be anonymous because so many people have, there's such a bad stigma towards addicts and, and drug addicts and people with felonies and that it's, it's really, you don't see a whole lot of success stories and, um, we're seeing more and more, but I, I choose to recover out loud because I've buried too many friends um, that didn't get a chance to find recovery. And uh, so you, when you mean that, you mean that literally you have a lot of friends that died because of um, addiction issues. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we've probably, since I've been clean, I've probably, we've probably buried close to 16 and I'm going to say half of those are in Grant County and the other half are people that I met here. One of the, one of the gals, one of the gals was 17 years old. Um, you know, full, f really, really nice, loving family. You know, one thing I want to say is addiction. It does not discriminate. Um, it don't matter if you're rich, you're poor, you're a Christian, you're an atheist. It does not matter. That don't matter the color of your skin. Um, it, it will destroy anybody and everybody that 
isn't aware of the consequences of that. Um, so yeah, we've, we've buried a lot of people and, uh, yeah, you know, that's people. That's that's the the gift and the curse of being in recovery is you get to see people success stories, but also you see people fail and you bury them, um, and, and it, it's it's a struggle, you know, it it really is. Um, so one of the things that we talk about on this on our podcast is we're all about educating and empowering um, individuals to. Um, overcome things like this. So um, we're all about solutions. That's it's in our name, health solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. So one of the solutions is educating people about these, this recovery. I just, I thought most addicts would know about it, but will you tell me, um, you know, now you, where you work and, and what do you do? And, um, you know, tell me how you're educating people that were in the same situation that you were. Um, so really, you know, this started in 2018, um, Victor Estrada and me and a few other friends, we started something called the Central Washington Recovery Coalition. And it's a grassroots coalition that started in somebody's house. You know, we, we didn't know what we were going to do, but we knew we needed to do something different. And so we came up with a mission statement. I'm going to read that to you. And it says to advance substance use recovery and behavioral health wellness by catalyzing public understanding and public policy innovation through community partnerships. Yeah, it's a grassroots organization um, that we started in 2018. And our mission statement is to advance substance use recovery and behavioral health wellness by catalyzing public understanding and public policy innovation through community partnerships. And so what we did is we met up and we invited a bunch of people, um, a judge, a uh, one of the ladies for, that are really big in um, health and wellness, uh, people from tw- different 12-step organizations, uh, parents that had buried their kids and that have lost a kid to overdose. And, and we just thought, you know, we're all tired of what's going on. How can, we, how can we be a part of this solution? And so we started this coalition. We meet every third Wednesday of the month and, and we, we've done we've trained people up in Narcan. We've done Narcan training. We mm-hmm. do, we do an event every year called hands across the bridge. And what we do is, is we our our main, our main reasoning is just to let the community know that we're out here um, and that we are trying to come up with solutions to, to solve um, our addiction, homelessness and behavioral wellness issues that we have here in Chelan in Douglas County and Grant County and Okanagan County. So central Washington covers all those, all four of those counties. Um, we just started a, a o- Okanagan recovery coalition and then a Grant County recovery coalition that Noki is the chair of that one. Noki's going to be one of your guests on here. He is. He is um, yes. Basically, we just want to break that stigma. Um, and so we, we started in 2018. We've had our three events. We've done a couple of uh, Narcan trainings. Um, we have done some big like uh, barbecue events and, and just bring the community together and, and discuss how, what we're going to do to do something different. And what we did is we started uh, – we, we started this training called Recovery Coach Training. We invited somebody named Jim Langang, who is a, a, a master trainer for CCAR, which stands for 
um, Connecticut Community for Addiction Recovery, and they are a national recognized, um, nationally recognized for that training, which means every state can use it and the state recognizes it as a training. And so I went through this thing called Recovery Coach Academy. It was a 32 hour, eight, eight hours a day for four day training. And it, you get certified. And what that means is that you can um, help people find recovery. And, and it teaches you about motivational interviewing and asking the right questions and to, to meet the addict where they're at. Um, my recovery may look different than someone else's. And, and, and my recovery path isn't the only one. There's many recovery paths and to not judge or stigmatize any of those other paths and to support medically assisted treatment. And um, it's based on compassion and love and friendship and that connection. And it, it, it's really an awesome thing. And we have 38 coaches trained up in central Washington. I think we got about 10 or 12 in, in Moses Lake another 10 or 12 in uh, uh, OMAC, and then the rest of them are here in Wenatchee. And we plan on doing more trainings um, where people are, are excited about this. The, um, the organization called uh, North Central Accountable Community of Health is the organization that hired me as a recovery coach coordinator um, and to design a pilot program to work with people that are getting out of jail and how to like integrate them back into society with the least amount of barriers as possible. And that's going to be like the first thing that I tackle is meeting people in, in jail. Um, what I'd like to do is meet them before they get out, mm -hmm. have a, have a meeting with them, build that relationship, build that trust, that connection, let them know where a little bit about my story and where I came from. And, and that, you know, I, I know the resources that can help them achieve recovery. And one of the things a recovery coach is, is we call them a resource broker. Um, resources change a lot you know, organizations come and go. And so we, we have to study the resources in our community and basically have them on speed dial. And so what that means is I, I literally go to in-person meetings with all these different resources, let them know who I am, you know, what we're trying to do. That way, when I call them and say, hey, John Doe's getting out of jail, he's gonna need, he's gonna need to meet with you, work with you. Um, they already know who I am um, and they know what our organization's about. And so we call that that warm handoff where I will actually walk them into the office and introduce them because um, one of the things that I, that I, that I know is those barriers that someone in recovery faces are, are the same barriers that, that people go to the relapse on, you know, they, they get frustrated. They, yeah. you know, yeah. It, and well, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's good. Someone like yourself that's been through it can hold their hand, like you say, and walk them through it because that's what those people need. So we do have to wrap it up, Joseph. Uh, we got less than a minute. So um, if somebody needs to get a hold of you as a resource, um, how do they do that? Um, we, we have a Facebook page and a YouTube channel. Um, it's called Central Washington Recovery Coalition. Um, 
We will put those in the show links. And by the way, Joseph, we are streaming live on Facebook. We made that happen. So please share your, share your story there. Share that um, um, post, please. So, well, that's great, Joseph. I appreciate your story. That's very, very powerful. And I'm looking forward to interviewing Victor and Noki um, Monday, 1 to 2 p.m. They're going to tell their story and we can get more of this out. So um, thank you, Joseph, for being on today. I show, so appreciate it. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you for listening.